Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the San Pascal Podcast on the Ambiguous Network. Right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone's having a wonderful Friday. We're at the weekend. Some movie items that I want to get to today to wrap up this week in Hollywood. I'm going to be talking about some of the Academy Award changes that are coming in due to the diversity issues that are going on around the world right now. Not just the entertainment industry, but the whole world is looking to kind of reform a lot of the social injustices that have been going on, and the entertainment industry is looking to do one of those, and the Academy made some announcements today. Viggo Mortensen and Peter Fairley are reuniting for a brand new film, and also some new release dates going on in Disney and another film that will be coming out this summer, and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to get into, as I have for a majority of the Fridays over the last month or so, is the docuseries going on at Disney Plus, Disney Gallery, Star Wars, The Mandalorian. And this week, this Friday rather, today was the penultimate episode of the docuseries. And today's episode focused on the music, the score of The Mandalorian and the, the talking about the iconic theme that we now know to be associated with The Mandalorian and the incredible music that Ludwig Gorskin worked on. And you kind of see the behind the scenes of him playing with the instruments and even in the very first scene, that very ominous kind of flute-like sound that you hear in the beginning of the Mandalorian theme, they show how he just worked with the flute and created that sound, and that's what became the Mandalorian theme, or the start of the Mandalorian theme. And it just goes it goes into working in classical elements of an orchestra and working in techno music that Ludwig Gorskin works into as well and his relationship with Ryan Coogler and Donald Glover and how he really came on board to The Mandalorian and really it goes to show the example of a lot of the industry, Hollywood, movies, television, is all about connections and you work with somebody, you do a great job with it, that person works with somebody else and then if they're working on another project, you get a recommendation and that is really the cycle that happened with Ludwig Gorskin in working on The Mandalorian and it gave me chills hearing the orchestra of they selected different pieces of music to exemplify how they came up with the music. And one of them was the very end of the first episode where you get that iconic shot of the Mandalorian and the child kind of touching fingers in a way, kind of like an E.T. homage moment in a sense. And how that music kind of really brings up the, the, the emotion and, the, the, and really dramatizes the importance of that shot. And it also shows an example of how important music is. And John Favreau, Dave Filoni talk about, along with Ludwig Gorskin, about the importance of music in Star Wars and how Star Wars is an example of how there's a lot of important materials of practical effects, CGI, and miniature figures, and the way that Star Wars showcased and ushered in a new era of cinema. And one of those things was the era of music and how the music of Star Wars is its own entity. And then one of the things you look forward to is the theme. I remember seeing episode seven, The Force Awakens, in the theater and the first time seeing it, just waiting for that a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and then hearing that first dawn happen when the title sequence comes up. That's something you're always looking forward to in a Star Wars movie. So they talk about how music is such a big, important figure in itself of a Star Wars film and how they never really wanted to replicate what came before with John Williams and the original trilogy and the Skywalker saga, but creating their own version and how even Favreau says his word for word that they're an offshoot of Star Wars. They're not looking to replicate Star Wars. They want to be known in the, the universe, but they want to be their own thing entirely. 
and I've said this when I was reviewing the show, is that in the beginning, the first episode or two, I wasn't really a fan of the music, and I was wondering to myself, oh, is this music going to grow on me? And sure enough, as the episodes went along and we got to episode six, seven in the finale, I love the music and I listen to it now just on repeat because of how good it is. And Ludwig Gorskin talks about how he hears people that talk about, especially cinema fans, about there's people that love some certain music and then they hate other music. But as time goes on, they go on to appreciate the music as they listen to it more and more and more. And that is exactly what happened to me when listening to the Mandalorian theme and the Mandalorian music. So it's again, it's amazing to see how fascinating this docuseries really turned out to be after the bumpy start that it actually had and then seeing from episode really three and hopefully to the end of the season with episode eight coming out next week that it really kind of ends it on a, a great note and really kind of stamps what... The Mandalorian really has represented, and I'm wondering how they're going to close that. Are they going to focus on one last aspect of the show, or is it going to be kind of an overall wrap-up of what we've learned about the making of the show, from learning about the directors, to the cast, to the the music, to the visual effects, to the volume and the technology that they used? How are they going to wrap it up? And to me, I think that second episode stands out as a really sore thumb because I think you could have added on that episode to be the, the the finale of this show because you talk about the Mandalorian for the first seven episodes and then you talk about the legacy of Star Wars and you make that maybe a 40-minute one where you talk about the ending the Mandalorian and how the, the Star Wars legacy impacted the Mandalorian and how it's going to be that way moving forward. But regardless, I'm interested to see how this ends. I loved from episode three to now how they really kind of dissected the behind the scenes, and, and that's really what I know that I'm looking forward to when watching this, and I know what a lot of people have been looking forward to, and the beginning didn't really do that, but over these this middle half into the ending, it really has showcased what this show, I think, was looking to be and what I wanted the show to be, and I hope that's what others have been looking for the show to be, so I really enjoyed this episode, and I always was wondering, well, how are they going to do the last few episodes? We've gone through a lot of the stuff. What else can we get through? And I completely forgot about the music. So when I saw the – because I always look for the title because I have no idea what's going to be the episode of the day, What's what the details are going to be. And so when it said score, I'm like, oh, that makes perfect sense. I want to know how they created the theme and the music in each of the episodes. And it was a really good episode. I really, really enjoyed how they created this, this music, the theme. And another cool thing that they added was on episode four – when they were still in production, Ludwig Orson came on set and it was Favreau, Filoni, and the director of episode four, Bryce Dallas Howard. They all kind of huddled together and on on Ludwig Orson's phone, it was the Mandalorian theme. And so for the first time ever hearing it was on a on an iPhone on set for the directors to hear. And Favreau pointed it up to the camera of the documentary that they were shooting for, for them to listen to. And so I think to kind of see their first reaction to it and just really kind of see John Favreau light up and Dave Filoni light up and see their enthusiasm for this and that it's not just another day at the job for them and for these directors and creators. It's it's passion that they're really going forward with Star Wars and creating this show. And it, it's great to see what they did with season one, but it gives me a lot of excitement for how they're going along with now that they're in post-production for season, season two, how they're going about with that and how they're going about with the rest of that show. But if you guys have seen this episode of the Mandalorian Disney gallery, what did you guys think about it? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. 
Moving on now to some movie news that has been going on around the world of Hollywood over the last 24 hours or so. And the bit of movie item news that came about was the reunion of Green Book director and one of its stars. Specifically, Viggo Mortensen will be reuniting with Peter Fairley for his next film. And that is going to be based on a novel, excuse me, a true story novel on the greatest beer run ever, a true story of friendship stronger than war. And it's based off of the actual true story of Donahue, who left New York in 1967 to track down and share a few beers with his childhood buddies in the army while they were fighting in Vietnam. And this seems like it's going to be Peter Fairley's Vietnam War film, per se. It's going to be dramatic like he did with Green Book. And kind of like how the Five Bloods is Spike Lee's kind of look into the Vietnam War and the black lives that were associated with the Vietnam War. It seems like this is going to be Peter Fairley's war film in a sense. And this is a guy who went from, followed the Adam McKay route in a way and was full on a comedic director, really well known for the Dumber and Dumber franchise. And it came about with Green Book and all of a sudden it, he, people are seeming to be Take him really seriously. He was nominated as a producer for Green Book, in which he's now an Academy Award winner for Best Picture for Green Book. It also won Screenplay and Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali. It won five Academy Awards, excuse me, it won three and was nominated for five Oscars. And even though there was a co some controversy behind it, I don't think you can really associate that with Peter Fairley. He just did the job he was supposed to do in directing the film, and he did an outstanding job with it. It was one of the best films that came out in 2018, and I really think seeing that Viggo Mortensen is on board with this, they definitely have some chemistry together, and they know how each other work, and Viggo Mortensen is going to be playing, it seems like, a supporting role, not the lead role that he had in Green Book, but still, the fact that Peter Fairley brings aboard somebody he knows he can work really well with is no surprise. Viggo Mortensen is a tremendous actor. Everyone really knows well from the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And to bring him back to this, I think, is exciting. And it'll be interesting to see what this film is really going to be about. But Peter Fairley doing another film after coming off of his Oscar win for Green Book, it gets me really excited to see what he's going to do next. And if this really turns out to be a, another uh, a great kind of little streak that Peter Fairley kind of goes on now from Green Book that this film is as good as Green Book, which is going to be the expectation. We'll see how that rolls. There's no release date for this film yet, but it'll probably be shooting soon. But again, there's no information about production or release dates for this film yet. Just a few details. Moving on now to some award season news that came out today. And this, this was not really as surprising as I think a lot of people are going to see it to be. But because of everything that's going on right now with social injustice and diversity issues and wanting to hear more minority voices, specifically in the black community, it seems like the Academy Award that has taken a lot of flack for really not being as diverse as it should be in today's day and age, seems like they're really making strides, at least right now, to really combat those issues. And this comes off the heels of the infamous Oscar So White campaign that came about for the Academy Award. And it was really something that I think the Academy saw. And then over the next few years, we saw specifically in 2018 when Jordan Peele won for Best Original Screenplay and he became the first African-American or first black person to win the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. And he was, it was nominated for Best Director, Best Picture. Greta Gerwig was nominated for Best Director. Her film, Lady Bird, was nominated for Best Picture. 
it really seemed like there was a mishmash of people of different backgrounds that were involved in the Academy Awards. But over the years, we've kind of seen it be kind of an ebb and flow to be high points like 2018's Oscar ceremony, or it would kind of dip down to what we just experienced this year, at least with the nominations. I think this year with Parasite's win, Parasite kind of saved the Academy Awards from becoming another kind of Oscar so white issue in the in a way that when it won became the first ever non-English film to win best director or not really best director but best picture and I think for going forward I think the Academy realized especially with everything going on in the world right now that they needed to step up to the plate a little bit and it seems like they're doing exactly that and Starting next year, not with this year's award ceremony, which will be the 93rd annual Oscars, but for next year's Oscars, the 94th annual Academy Awards, which will be set in 2022. So a lot of people are going to get confused about this, but I'll explain it in a little bit. So starting with next year's Oscars, the 94th annual Oscars, the best picture will revert back to the 10 nominations. And so instead of doing the five through 10, which has been accustomed over the last few years, It'll go back to what happened in from 2009 to around 2011, where basically in that little short amount of time, there were 10 nominations no matter what, and it was a range of blockbusters and smaller indie films to surprise films that nobody saw coming. And then over these last few years, it's been between 5 to 10 and earning about a 1%, a 1 percentage of those votes would get into the best picture race. And it usually throughout the years, it's usually been around eight or nine films have been nominated for best picture. That's been around the estimate. No, it hasn't been shorter than that or longer than that getting to the max of 10. But it seems like for the following year's Oscars, it'll go back to the 10 is the max capacity. and It'll be 10 nominations from beginning to end. No eight or nine. It'll be straight up 10 pictures to really kind of diversify the range a little bit and and showcase a little bit more of the films that maybe don't have a big voice that people need to see. And this is where I want to get into the conversation of, well, it's it's next year's Oscar, so does that mean it's happening quickly? Is it happening now? Well, for this year's Oscar, so for this year, 2020, for next year's award season, which next year's ceremony will be in 2021, it will not be the case. For the following year's award season, so for the 2021 movie year, for the 2022 award Oscar ceremony, that's where these rules will come into effect. So basically, everything, the the rules of the 5 through 10 will still be in place as of right now. If we still have an award ceremony, if we still have an award season and an Oscars, it'll be for this year 2020 movie slate for the 2021 Oscar ceremony. So that's where the confusion might come into a little bit when it comes to this specific ruling. And there was another ruling that came in from the Academy, and this is from an article from the Hollywood Reporter, because I wanted to read it from verbatim. And this is from the Scott Feinberg article, who is really, if you want to learn about the top award ceremony stuff from somebody who's been in the industry for many, many years, Scott Feinberg is the person to read and to really learn a lot about. I pick his brain all the time when reading his articles. And this is what he said in the article about the changes that are coming when it comes to the Academy Screening Room. And basically, the Academy Screening Room is the website that the Academy members use to watch the films that they'll nominate and later award trophies to for the for the Oscars. And this is the, the new rule that they have implementing 
for the following year with award season. And so it says, the Academy will implement a quarterly viewing process through the Academy screening room, the streaming site through which Academy members are able to watch Oscar hopefuls at home. By making it possible for members to view films released year-round, the Academy aims to broaden each film's exposure, level the playing field, and ensure all eligible films can be seen by voting members. And I think this is a great idea. I think they need to elaborate it on a little bit more of which films will qualify, which films are eligible to be viewed by the Academy. Because I think one of the big things that have happened over the years is that, especially last year, and the reason for it last year was because of the short awards season, is that people are, a lot of the Academy members are people within the industry, and they just don't have enough time to watch all the films. So maybe some films that are worthy of Academy Award, Academy Award nominations at the least don't get looked at the same as maybe The Irishman or Once Upon a Time in Hollywood last year, which from the very get-go were award-worthy contenders that people can right away say, that's something that definitely I can see getting some award nominations, and they just focus on a few select films that they eventually give a bunch of nominations for. And that especially happened last year because of the shortened award season. I think a lot of people didn't have time to watch a lot of these films that they just kind of keyed their eyes on just specific films saying, okay, these are the films that I that I know I can watch, that I've been hearing a lot of hype for, I'll give them all these kinds of awards. And the same has happened over the years, over the past years as well, where award members probably key in on certain films that they hear a lot of hype about, and they'll watch those films and say, you know what, those people were right about that, let me look at these films, and I'll definitely put in my ballot for what I want nominated, these films are going to get those that recognition. What it seems like this rule is going to implement is that the Academy will be putting in, okay, so for the first quarter of 2020, from the winter to maybe the spring, so from January to maybe March or April, we come in and we watch the films that came out from those few months. And then we go into the summertime, whatever the summer film slate is, we see those films that come out and we give our views on what we think those are and they make sure they keep a fresh mindset. So because a lot of these Academy members aren't watching these films throughout the years, Usually they're cramming these, and that's why it's called award season time in the fall time because that's when a lot of these deadlines happen. That's when a lot of these ceremonies are being eyed on and and and, and happening. So a lot of a lot of academy members, a lot of screeners are being sent in this very compressed time period that nobody has a chance to. It's literally impossible to watch so many films in a very short amount of time. You would need the full year to watch these films. So I think. This is a smart idea that needs to be elaborated on a little bit more, but the steps are in place for that to happen, and I think this is a step in the right direction. And there were a bunch of other rule sets that were changed and and really showing inclusion in the academy. I think these are the right steps forward that I think a lot of people were hoping for after the whole Oscar So White campaign. Changes were starting to be implemented more people of color, more people from minority backgrounds were coming into the fray, but over the years people have been saying, well, we're not seeing, we're seeing little change, but nothing's really happening. But I think with everything happening with George Floyd and the call for social injustice and the call for social change happening now, a lot of people have been saying it, it's correct, there's a window right now for this to happen and we're seeing change happen. And the Academy, I think, is one of those changes that this can speed up that process. And a few days ago, it was announced the new uh, Board of Governors, and the big name that was highlighted was Ava DuVernay, who will be governing the the director's branch. And you're getting more diverse names in there and more diverse voices, more minority voices that want to be heard 
that I think is 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 needed. And I think the one thing the academy just needs to do from this is is elaborated on a little bit more and follow through with it. And I think opening it back up to ten nominations is the right thing to do, especially when we're always asking for, well, we could have gotten this film in there. What about this film or this film or that film? And even though most of the times over the last few years it's been between eight or nine films, you still have a chance to earn one more film into that slot or two more films into that best picture slot. And if they say, you know what, we have enough room to give out to films that have really struck with us from different backgrounds throughout the world, I think that is what's going to inevitably happen and Parasite was a great example of that. And I think we're going to have more momentum from Parasite happening. I think there's going to be more African-American or black vo- voice that happen. I think there's going to be more Latino voices that will be heard. So I think this is a, a great step in the right direction for the Academy. And I think over the next few months, we'll see that change happen. I think this year, especially, it, it's going to be difficult. And I, they said these changes are going to be implemented starting in July of this year, but again, the changes in regards to the best picture race and for the the screening, I think I think the screening is something that'll happen this year. I'm, I have to read the article again, but I think the Academy, the nominations are definitely for the following year, for the 94th Academy Award. So it, that'll be for the 2021 movie slate, not for this year's movie slate for 2021's Oscar ceremony. What do you guys think about this news of the Oscar changes that are coming from the Academy Awards? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts below. Moving on now to some release date changes that occurred over the last few hours alone and over the last 24 hours. And the first one that I want to get into is the new Gerard Butler film, Greenland, which premiered its first trailer about, if I can guess it again, about a week or two after the pandemic really settled in for the coronavirus in March, and it stars Gerard Butler and Marina Bracken, and it is a movie that basically has similarities to Deep Impact and Armageddon when it's about a family's fight for survival in the face of a cataclysmic natural disaster. As the countdown to global apocalypse approaches zero, the family's trek culminates in a desperate and a last-minute flight to a possible safe haven. And it sits premiere on July 31st, smack dab middle of the summer movie season, or if that is a summer movie season that we get, it'll be smack dab in the middle of that, coming on the heels of Tenet and Mulan if they don't change the release date. And this just showcases that whether people go to the movie theaters or not, theater owners feel like the July is going to be the date that theaters are open, and they're going to be releasing these films to come out. Now, the one thing that I do want to address is the fact that even though I, I, I'm giving analysis on the the movies coming out and whether or not they will come out, I definitely say this, that if you don't feel comfortable going to the movie theaters, then definitely don't go to the movie theaters. I don't think anybody should be forcing you to go there because I definitely think that there's a lot of risk going involved in everything right now, and movie theaters are going to be a huge risk going forward. We don't know what's how the these these protocols are going to be put in place, and if you feel comfortable going, then you should feel comfortable going. I, I'm still on the fence of if I'm really going to be going. I, I'm still 50-50 right now. I think it'll – for me, I'm always a touch-and-go situation. I, I might go, but if I'm not feeling that the – that the protocols are being put in place, I'm definitely not going to go. It's not worth it to infect my to go and risk it for myself and my family and my friends and anybody else I really know. I think it's it's 
on people's responsibility to feel like what they think the risks are. And if they think that they want to risk it, then then, then go for it. And I'm not going to stop you. Nobody's going to stop you. But definitely weigh in those risks and see if you really want to be going to the movie theaters because no movie is worth any person's life necessarily. And no, this, this it's not like movie theaters are absolutely imperative. It's something that I love talking about. And movies and the entertainment news industry and specifically movie news and television news are something I love talking about. I love movies. I, I love covering this stuff. But it's no amount to any one particular life. All life matters no matter what in the sense that life matters over going to restaurants, going to concerts. It, you you shouldn't be risking yourself and other people's lives for that sense if you feel that way. So saying that and going to what's being talked about with Greenland and and Tenet going about and Mulan, if it's the smart decision, I, I really don't know if it's the smart decision. I think it's best to hold off and see what happens during the summer because it's really the fall time it seems like everything is going to be predicated on of what really happens do we get a second wave or do we not get a second wave and i think theaters are really in a hurting position right now that from that perspective from their perspective they have no choice but to open up and these films have to open up and whether they make money or not i i really really don't know i i think they could if again if perfect scenarios play out they definitely could make the money if people go out but if they don't it might not be worth the risk for that and so i think for Films like Broken Heart Society, like Unhinged, even like Tenet and Mulan, even Wonder Woman 1984 coming out in August, is the risk worth it enough? And even for a film like Greenland, are, are you willing to risk that over not making any money off of it and, and putting people's lives on, on the line potentially? So uh, th there's a lot of other questions that, that come up with it that are going to be interesting and, and, and gray. There's no black and white with all this, really. There, there's always gray areas when it comes to everything. And so... I think when it comes to these release dates, it's it's just a, it's a flip of the coin. And, and again, everything's changing hour by hour, day by day, minute by minute. That All of a sudden, I could stop this podcast right now, and then on Monday, I'm talking to you guys about Tenant coming out in 2021, potentially, or 2022, which probably won't happen in 2022, but maybe 2021, it comes out in July. We, we don't know yet, so everything's changing every single day. Now, having said that now, I want to get back into talking about these release dates. So, Greenland will be premiering on July 31st. Again, if it's a, being a smaller film, I don't know if the risk is well worth it to do that. Maybe you go to VOD. Maybe you go to a streamer. Maybe you decide to push it back a little bit more. I don't know, but I guess they feel like the, the 31st STX feels like that is a safe enough day for them to warrant moving to July 31st. So, we'll see what happens with Greenland. But moving on to some Disney films that made announcements, it was more of the smaller Disney films, not not the bigger blockbusters, that announced some release date changes that are going to theatrical or from theatrical to Disney Plus. And the one moving to Disney Plus is the animated film, The One and Only Ivan, which will be moving from the theaters that was previously set to come out on August 14th and will be moving to Disney Plus on August 21st of 2020. 20. And this is a statement from the director of the one and only Ivan, Thea Sharak. And she says, The world has changed in a heartbeat. People are all over the globe have shared important life-changing experiences in ways we have not seen for a century. In response to this, I am so happy that we can share Catherine Applegate's delightful and original story, The One and Only Ivan, with the world this August on Disney+, Plus, bringing some joy through this unique movie of true friendship inspired by a true story. And 
the other news I want to get to about the release dates is what was supposed to come out on August 14th, the one and only Ivan, will now be replaced for limited theater screens by The Personal History of David Copperfield, which stars Dave Patel and was supposed to come out on in May of this year, but it got moved from the beginning of May on May 8th to now August 14th, and for a while was in purgatory and didn't have a release date. And then we have the announcement that the Beatles film, the Beatles documentary, The Beatles Get Back, which was acquired by Disney, was set to come out on September 4th, but it has now been moved not to August 27th of this year, but August 27th of next year, 2021. And the reason for that, if I had to guess, was on September 4th is now the date for the highly anticipated film, Quiet Place Part 2, which was set to come out in March, March 20th, really the week of when the coronavirus was set to, was hit and really kind of eviscerated a lot of stuff, and so it moved its release date to that day period, and it seems like Disney wants this film, feels like this film could be big enough that they don't want to share it with the with A Quiet Place Part 2. They'll let that film have its weekend on its own and not fight for seats and fight for people and demographics still want to wait and they can reset and do the marketing campaign the right way when theaters are probably back up to normal on August 27th of next year. And then another film that's a musical drama from Disney is Everybody's Talking About Jamie, which was set to come out on October 23rd of this year, but instead will come out on January 22nd of next year, 2021. So again, no big surprises. It's great to see that the personal history of David Copperfield gets a release date, at least for August 14th. Again, that could move again. But the one that I really want to get to is the one and only Ivan. And when the first group of of Disney films moved from their dates in the first half of 2020, such as Black Widow, you had another one that moved it was oh it was jungle cruise moved i was thinking about it for a sec jungle cruise moved a few films from disney moved around those day periods and people were wondering well what's going to happen and you saw the the mcu their slate kind of moved back a little bit more to a comedy for black widow moving to november 6th and but one of the ones that moved that day wasn't was Artemis Fowl, but it didn't move to a theatrical release it moved to Disney Plus, and people at that time, I was one of them, and I think a lot of people were wondering, well, what does this mean for Artemis Fowl? Does it mean that Disney is just going to bite the bullet? They don't think it's going to be good. People aren't, weren't going to come out to the theaters for it. What's happening? And then a few months later, we're here on June 12th, where Artemis Fowl is now hit on Disney Plus, and from what I heard, it is a pile of garbage, all due respect to the to the creators of that film, Kenneth Branagh and the cast and crew, I've heard it's a pile of garbage. I heard it's not a great film. It's a, it's a disastrous film. And it seemed like Disney probably knew that. They had a tumultuous time making this film, and they were just going to bite the bullet and put it on their own streaming service and see if they can get some views on it and boost up the price for their streaming service. And I don't know if that's going to happen with the one and only Ivan, but the fact that they're moving to Disney+, Plus, maybe they think, well, this is a film that might do a lot better, that maybe could do better on Disney Plus. It wasn't going to make us a lot of money. And maybe it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a pile of garbage. But I think when studios, uh, no matter what, are assessing what films that they want to keep, what films they don't want to keep, especially when, again, you're going to have a backlog at the end of this year and into 2021 and probably well into 2022 and into this entire decade, you're going to have films that are pushed back. And this is going to be a wave that ripples through for the foreseeable future that you're going to have to sacrifice some films 
to to video on demand to a streaming service like the lovebirds have done like my spy has done and, and like which another film i'll talk about greyhound has done as well and it seems like the one and only ivan is being subjected to disney plus and again it could be a really good movie and maybe disney sees that you know what this this is a film that good or bad wasn't going to make us a lot of money and let's just put it to disney plus that we can have something to market the streaming service with and get some maybe some dollars into our streaming service that we can make up in that realm instead of the box office so that i think that is one equation that you can put into play one theory but the other one could be that like armas fall is just not that good of a movie and it, it just it might not be that good and they just want to just dump it on there and Unfortunately, that's what I saw with Artemis Fowl, and that seems to have been what happened with it. But the one and only Ivan, I think, doesn't have the production budget or the clout of being a big summer blockbuster, even though it's supposed to come out in August. Around the middle to the end of August, that's when the summer movie season wanes, and you don't have big, big blockbusters come out toward the end of August. But for Artemis Fowl coming out in May of this year, at the end of May for Memorial Day weekend... It was it was gonna be considered a big big film to come out. You gotta be a big fighter at least to and have confidence at least in it to make some money for a studio if you're gonna come out around that weekend. And so I think for the one and only Ivan, I think being it probably a smaller film, it can do a lot better than maybe Artemis Fowl is gonna do right now. So I think that's the big takeaway to take from the Disney slate moving forward. And another one big thing to take away is that the personal history of David Copperfield got a release date. Beatles Get Back was moved back. The one and only Ivan is moved to Disney+. Plus. But the one film that was a 20th Century Studios film, that's what it's called now, that is still up in the air in limbo is The Woman in the Window with Amy Adams, which reminded me a lot of The Girl on the Train and Gone Girl. It reminded me of that mystery kind of noir thriller that we usually get with those kind of movies. And it hasn't been announced for another release, release date yet. So I don't know what's happening with that movie. If it maybe it gets moved to Hulu, but I don't think so because of the clout that it has. Maybe they they stick it at the end of 2020 or they move to 2021. I have no idea, but it seems like right now the one of the last films to be in kind of a limbo state is The Woman in the Window. So we'll see what happens with that film whenever it gets announced for something in the future. And I want to move on now to a film that I did talk about just a few moments ago was Greyhound. And speaking of films that were supposed to come out in the summertime, but again, being that, I don't want to say sacrificial lamb, but something that, you know, again, you can reassess and say, you know what, let's just make some money that we can off of it. And some studios have streaming services that they can just put it onto and it can be used as promotion for the streaming services. But some films sold their sold their property to streaming services. The Lovebirds did it with Netflix. Paramount did it. They got some money off of it. The same thing happened with My Spy, which STX had, and they moved over to Amazon. And the same thing just happened with Warner Brothers moving Greyhound to Apple TV+. And last month it was announced that Greyhound was picked up and was set to be released this summer, but there was no release date yet. However, Apple TV Plus and Apple have announced a summer release date for the Tom Hanks-led Greyhound film, and it'll be coming out. I thought it would come out around July 4th weekend. Maybe they'll do it that weekend, but I think Hamilton has that locked up right now, so I think it was going to be in July, and so it'll be coming out a few days after July 4th, specifically July 10th. This is a film that is written and starring Tom Hanks, and it's directed by Aaron Schneider, and it follows the true story of Captain Ernest Krauss, 
who leads an international convoy of 37 Allied ships in his first command of a U.S. destroyer during World War II, and the group crosses the treacherous oceans as they are pursued by wolf packs of Nazi U-boats. And I don't remember Tom Cruise really ever writing a screenplay, but if there's one genre that I think I trust him in creating something in, it's the war genre because he's he's had plenty of experience in it, specifically being in the Academy Award-winning film Saving Private Ryan. He's also helped produce The Pacific and The Band of Brothers on for HBO, which are incredible limited series to watch. I highly recommend them. And so he has he has some experience working with us. Now, is this film gonna be phenomenal? I don't I don't think it'll be phenomenal. I don't know if I don't think it'll be one of the best films of the year. It could surprise and do that. I don't think this will lead to any Academy Award land lavishes that it'll get. It won't lead to any buzz in, in that case, but I do think that it'll be a fun summer flick to experience, especially at home. I think this will be Something you can just sit down and watch for a little bit, get some historical context, watch Tom Hanks kind of do his thing and, and and defeat a bunch of Nazis in a World War II set film and enjoy it. I think that's what this film ultimately is going to be. And so I think Apple TV Plus knew what it was doing. And again, this is more for Apple TV Plus, not so that they can make money off of it, but so that they can get some notoriety for their streaming service. And Again, I think it, it makes sense for them to do that. I think especially for Apple TV+, Plus, which, again, doesn't have a lot of IP content like an HBO Max would or Disney Plus would. and But they're more reliant on their original shows and their original films that they have. And they're going to have to really get in the game of buying films that they can put present their clout with and show that, hey, we have some teeth into this game as well. They just did it with... Killers of the Flower Moon, in which they're going to be the creative studio and financial backer, really, of the new Martin Scorsese film with Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro. So they're they're looking to stay, they're looking to do some damage, and it seems like this is the first step in doing that. So I'm excited to see this film. I'm looking forward to seeing it, and I'm I'm just hoping for it to be a really fun time. Uh, again, I'm not hope looking for it to be one of the best films of the year. I'm not looking for it to be a tremendous kind of again, Academy Award-winning film, Academy Award-nominated film like Captain Phillips was for Tom Hanks in 2013. But again, I think the fact that Warner Brothers was looking for this film to be in the summer slate, it was set to come out in June, the fact that they had it around that time period, I think showcases that they looked for this to be kind of a, not a blockbuster, but again, a, a summer film that people can go in and enjoy. And I think that is what hopefully we're going to get out of this film when it comes out on July 10th. Moving on now to a little bit, to two more little things that I want to get into before wrapping up this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast. And I'll, the, the rest of it is some casting news that is happening around the world of Hollywood. And the first one that I want to talk about is in the musical realm, specifically for the very popular Broadway hit show, Dear Evan Hansen. And it seems like Dear Evan Hansen has found its leading lady for the film adaptation of the Tony Award-winning musical. And it seems like they found Caitlin Dever to play the leading actress alongside the rumored addition of the star of the musical. Ben Platt will reportedly be returning to play Evan Hansen. 
And just so for people who don't know the story of Dear Evan Hansen, it's a, a plot that follows a high school student, Evan Hansen, who gets caught in a lie when one of his letters is mistaken for a classmate's suicide note that leads Evan to start a relationship with his classmate's family, including the boy's sister Zoe, who will be played by Caitlin Dever, who he begins dating. The film will be directed by Stephen Shinopsky, excuse me, Stephen Shinopsky, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, he directed that film, and it is going to be written by the person who writ the actual, the the play, the play written film, or the play written, the, the playwright, he wrote the playwright for Dear Evan Hansen, and the Academy Award winners for La La Land, who wrote the music for that film, and for The Greatest Showman, wrote the music for the actual musical, and they'll be back to write it for the film as well, and Hearing this, I've never seen the musical. I've wanted to see it, but I just haven't gotten the chance to. But I've heard the music for it. It's incredible music. And I've seen the Tony performance that Ben Platt put on a few years ago when he won for that show. And I'm really excited for this. And I think Caitlin Dever is somebody who's really on the rise. And she's kind of, when you think of people, rising actors and actresses that are going to be potentially the next big stars of Hollywood and of television and movies. Caitlin Dever's name is one of the first ones you think about from her role in Booksmart to her phenomenal role in Unbelievable last year. That'll definitely be giving her some Emmy nominations in the next few months. I definitely do think that this is a really good role for her. And surprisingly, I had no idea that she was a singer as well, which makes sense for why they would want her to be in this role. She, I, I listened to some of her music last night and she's got a really good voice and I think she would be it sounds like she's be perfect for this role I think I'm sure her and Ben Platt would have really good chemistry together and she's a really good actress on top of being a good singer so if you have both of them put together I think you can do no wrong with this and a lot of things about when especially you're adapting musicals of hit Broadway plays sometimes it can go really well sometimes it doesn't go really really well but I think the fact that with Dear Evan Hansen other than the director who has dealt with a lot of these high school not even really YA but really serious high school coming of age stories like The Breakfast Club in a way I think the fact that you you have somebody a director who has an eye for that and knows experience of making these films you have the 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 screenwriter who wrote the play come back for this and you have the people who made the music come back for this I think is a good rep- recipe for success and I think if this say comes out in December if this could be a summer movie season film like In the Heights I thought was going to be this year but it'll be that next year I think this has a chance to be a really big box office success and I think for Caitlin Dever this could really be the film that catapults her to that A-lister in which she can be not just in these indie films or these limited series and do really hard work but and really deep dramatic work but can be somebody that is in these big blockbuster films or big blockbuster television shows that she can do down the line she's was just casted in this she's right now rumored to be the one of the candidates for ellie or she's been fan casted to be ellie in the last of us hbo show people think that she would be the right person for that and i tend to agree with that as well i would love to see her play the role of Ellie. I think she would do a tremendous job with that film or with that HBO show. And so I think Caitlin Dever is going to be somebody and a name that you're going to hear for a very long time going forward. And, and I'm excited about that. I think she's a tremendous actress and I can't wait to see what her future's like. And it seems like it's going to go nowhere but up for her at this point as she's just turning in great work after great work after great work. And so I'm excited to see what she does 
down the line. What do you guys think about the casting of Caitlin Dever and Dear Evan Hansen? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And finally, I want to end the show with a little bit more of some casting news coming from the world of Hollywood, and that is the next project for Hustler star Kiki Palmer. And she will be starring in the film Alice. And Alice is inspired by the true events of a woman of servitude in 1800s Georgia who escapes the 55-acre confines of her captor to discover the shocking reality that exists beyond the tree line. It's 1973. Now, the one thing that you have to do about log lines is the fact that log lines are there to hook you. Synopsises are there to hook you, really. And for somebody that, when you're always looking to pitch a film, you're always looking to say, what's the hook? And I have to say, when you want an example of how to hook somebody to a film or to a project, that is the hook that you do. It's supposed to be, it, it's in 1800s Georgia. The, this woman is a slave and, and she can't get out, but then she does get out. And then she discovers that she was just in a small confine and realizes it's not, it's not those time periods. It's in the 1970s. And for me, not knowing anything else, crazy to think this is inspired by true events that gets me instantly hooked and for an actress like kiki palmer i think this is a great role for her to do and i think she probably feels uh, especially in the times that we live in right now with social justice i think she really feels like she th th this is a role that she really feels like she would probably need to do at this point in time and i think that you want to get your message out and going back to my talk about the academy awards i think when you talk about the the, the diversity and the and, and hearing other people's voices, this is a voice you really want to hear from and a film that you want to hear from. And Kiki Palmer talked about it in a statement saying, so many films that depict this time in our history are rooted in victimization of the black female lead. The story is the opposite, and that's what attracted me by to Kristen's perspective, who is the writer on this film. It tackles the harsh realities of slavery and white supremacy while also offering inspiration and vindication through the story of Alice's journey. I don't want anyone to leave the theater feeling debilitated. I want them to feel empowered. And the film is going to be shooting and commencing in August in Georgia as of right now. And to me, this sounds like it could potentially be awards-worthy material for her. I think she she hasn't obviously given that awards-worthy turn. She's somebody that I think has done some really good acting roles. I think Hustlers was a good role for her. She, she was a great supporting lead in that film or really supporting character in that film. And... I think if she keeps really kind of impressing and, and learns from this stuff, I think this could be, I think, a really empowering role for her and something that can really send shockwaves through audience members when watching this film. I don't know if it's going to have an action element or a thriller element or if it'll be more of, of a drama, really, with, with some with some mysterious thriller aspects in there. So to me, I, I'm already hooked on this film. I want to see a trailer already for this film and see what it's really about. So I'm really interested to see what Alice is going to be. I'm excited to see Kiki Palmer continue her career as an actress. I think she's a, a wonderful personality, and, and she's obviously one of the big vocal leaders right now in Black Lives Matter and in social injustice and looking for change within the country right now. And those are voices we need right now. And again, going back to that Oscars talk, those are the voices that you want to hear in projects, and Kiki Palmer's, I think, is louder than ever, and I think she's really going to speak loud with this new project for, with Alice. What do you guys think about this news of a new project with Kiki Palmer, Alice? Let me know what you think down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. 
But guys, that's going to do it for this edition of this episode podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my my content for more stuff. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Amigos Network and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out one of our brand new shows that is on the Ambiguous Network, The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com, also on Facebook and Twitter, at RailAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Kennedy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media on Twitter. You can follow me at Basile Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And on Facebook at Sam Vassell. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.